if you've got a Bible, you want to turn to the book of Colossians. Uh, I'm doing week two in our Identity in Christ series that we're calling Essence. We're talking about the core of Christians, what it means to be a Christian and who you are now at your very core. And to supplement what we're doing on Sundays, there's also uh, plenty of stuff midweek on Facebook. If you haven't picked it up yet, you can see that there's blogs and some videos, interviews that can hopefully help ground some more, some of the stuff that we're teaching. Because it's my conviction that the material that we're going through this week has the power to completely change your life as a Christian. Now you think, I would say that, but it's true. When we understand who we are from God's perspective, when we start to see ourselves how God sees us, when we start to realize how much we have as Christians and as believers, it transforms everything about the way we approach the Christian life. And now if you're uh, a non-Christian this morning listening in, um, then I'm going to be talking about hopefully uh, giving you an insight into why it is that Christians are happy, or should be happy, or why it is that Christianity is good news, why we talk about it being the gospel, the good news of God. And hopefully you'll see that Christianity as well uh, offers answers to some of the deep questions that we all ask, not just questions of meaning and purpose, but about our identity and and who we are. And for those of us who are Christians, uh, as we get into the letter of Colossians written by Paul to a church in Turkey, hopefully we'll start to plumb some of the depths of exactly what Jesus has done for us. When Jesus died on the cross and rose to new life, he achieved far more than just, well, we're going to find out. Now, I realized this week that um, I've been a Christian for nearly half, no, for over half my life, which I know is hard to believe because I look so young. But I've been a Christian now for um, 16 years, and I'm 32, 33 in a month. Um, So I've been a Christian for nearly half my life, which means that Jesus and the gospel has been influencing me and my way of seeing the world more than my previous however many 16, 17 years upbringing, not knowing God. And at the time when I first became a Christian, All I thought I was doing was saying, yes, I believe in God and yes, I want to follow him, which is all I was doing. But when I became a Christian, I suddenly realized that this whole world of meaning had opened up to me. That I still find it hard to fathom exactly what Jesus has done for me and all that he's achieved. When you become a Christian, it is a bit like finding a a debit card on the floor that happens to be in your name and has a letter attached to it. And it's from a millionaire. And the letter says, this is for you. All of my riches are now yours. You can spend it how you like and enjoy yourself. It's a bit like discovering something like that. Not materially. We're not talking about financial gain. We don't preach that kind of message here. But in Christ, the Bible says that we've been given every spiritual blessing. That we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That you have become a son or daughter of God. You're a co-heir with Christ now. The inheritance that's due to Jesus, which is the nations, is now also your inheritance. And you find yourself, when you become a believer, going, I've got this, these promises from God, and I seem to be able to withdraw and withdraw. And every time I pray, it's always yes and amen in Christ, because that's how God works now, because of this. I've received something in Christ that I never, never quite realized how extraordinary and significant it was. So that's why we're teaching this and that's why we're exploring some of that. So Colossians 1, Graham kicked off for us last week looking at the idea that in Christ we are saints. If you're a Christian, you are holy. 
You, you might say, but I don't feel holy. You should have seen what I did yesterday. I'm not particularly holy. No, you are holy because God has given you a brand new identity, an identity that is right before him, that when he looks at you, he sees a saint. So here we go. Colossians 1. We're going to move on from holy and see what we've got for this week. Verses 9 to 14 I'm going to read from. So, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That's according to his bank account, his goodness. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We're going to be looking at just that one verse today, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. If you're a believer today, you have been transferred, you have been rescued from the domain of darkness you now find yourself in the kingdom of God's beloved son. You find yourself in the kingdom of God's beloved son. Now, for some people, becoming a Christian is a very dramatic, in-the-moment experience. For some people, there's such a huge life change in the moment that it's very obvious. Oh, they've, tr- they've been transferred. They've been rescued. They were in darkness. They're now in light. For some people, that's the case. I was talking to a couple this, I met a couple this week for whom that was the case. Uh, it was remarkable, this couple in their mid-30s over in Eastbourne who started, were attending the prayer meetings this week. I got a chatting to them. Non-Christians up until two months ago. Um, the husband, an atheist, didn't know much about church or Jesus at all. The wife had some kind of Christian upbringing, so understood it, but again, wasn't a Christian. Three kids, a couple in their mid-30s. The, the wife, the lady, was one day walking along the beach in Eastbourne. A woman approached her and, gave, and, and said she was praying for her and gave her a Bible verse, as you do. And the Bible verse happened to be the Bible verse that this girl had been given regularly as a girl growing up. And then the woman said to her, oh, I'd love to invite you and your family around to my house for lunch. Who does that? <laughs> and, the, and the lady said, yes, who does that? Well, she did, which is great. So the woman went home and told her husband, oh, by the way, we're going for lunch at this lady's house. <laughs> and he was like, no, we're not. <laughs> but they did. The husband and wife with their three kids went for lunch at this Christian couple's house. Two hours later, after having love with uh, love. <laughs> That's a different story. <laughs> After having lunch with them, just to be clear, it was just lunch. After having lunch with them, this couple became Christians. They said they were so blown away by the example of this, um, the godly character of this couple that had invited them for lunch, that their lives were changed. Some people's conversion from darkness to light is dramatic. I've lost some of you. We should just stop right now, shouldn't we? And just enjoy that moment. Uh, of uh, Yes. Okay. For some people, it's dramatic. For some people, it's not. On some days, when the sun rises, it's beautiful. The sun rises, gorgeous. People take photos. They do paintings of it. On some days, you don't even notice the sun coming up. But every day, the sun comes up. What matters in the middle of the day when you're having your lunch isn't that there was a glorious sunrise. What matters is that the sun was up. And the sun is up in the sky. For us in the church, what matters isn't that we have a dramatic, I was this, now I'm that experience. 
what matters is that we have crossed over from darkness to light, from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. Now, being rescued and being placed in this kingdom asks, answers for us a lot of the questions that we ask as human beings. All of us in this room want security. We want, and we spend a lot of emotional and financial energy on trying to feel secure. Some of you feel secure because you have savings in your bank account. Some of you feel secure because you're fit and healthy and you think, uh, all the while that I'm healthy and not sick, I'm keeping death at bay. But in Christ, we've been given the ultimate security of acceptance with God. I heard someone talking about their kids and said that at the time this, ha- this story took place, uh, they had two children, one who was maybe four or five, one who was maybe two. And the two-year-old one day was just learning to scale the stairs at home. You know, when kids learn to climb stairs, it's very, you know, it's, it's cute to watch. You don't leave them to do it on their own because they'll fall and die, but it's cute to watch. And he said they were at this cute to watch stage. And the mum and dad were at the bottom of the stairs watching their two-year-old try to traverse, travail, climb the stairs. They're going, oh, look at what they can do. They can climb the stairs. Meanwhile, their older sibling was upstairs, peered over the balcony and saw what was going on and thought to themselves it would be a good idea to drop some bombs in the form of shoes onto the head of their brother or sister climbing up the stairs. And so they did. They picked out one of mum's big shoes with the boots, those shoes and shoots, boots with the big heel on it and dropped it from the top and it hit the, the child on the head. There was much crying and exasperation on the part of the parents. You can imagine this child upstairs ran off and hid. And once the parents had sorted out their toddler and calmed him down and checked that you know, they're all healthy and okay and it was fine, the parents went upstairs again and the dad went to find the terrorist and checked in all of the bedrooms to find this uh, naughty child, couldn't see them. And then eventually they saw this mound of duvet that was shaking ever so slightly. And he went over to the bed, pulled it back, and there was this little child crying. Um, very hot and sweaty from being under the duvet for so long, sobbing. And the child said to their dad, am I going to have to leave home now? (laughs) So the dad said, yes, of course, get out. But the dad said, no, of course you're not. You're securely loved in this family. When you become a Christian, same thing. You are secure in Christ. No matter what you do or what's done to you, you are secure. You have been transferred or rescued from the domain of darkness, and you've been placed now in the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Now, being rescued doesn't mean that you're guaranteed a a happy and healthy life, trouble-free life. Of course it doesn't. In fact, as we'll go on to see, it, it almost guarantees the opposite. But being rescued means that you now have a new identity, a new nature. You have a new master. You have a new perspective on things, a new standard to live up to. There are new opportunities in your life because you're not in darkness anymore. You are now in light. So what I want us to do um, for the remaining 20, 25 minutes or so is to look at the two kingdoms that are mentioned here and to then consider the rescue that's taken place. So we'll start with the kingdoms. Paul says in this verse, uh, actually, if we, if we put this up, God has rescued you. We've been rescued. God has rescued you. You have been transferred from the domain of darkness and now placed into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. But you read the phrase domain of darkness, you, think, you might think, what on earth is he talking about? Well, the word domain means this. It's a territory uh, governed by a single ruler or government or realm. 
And a couple of things about this. The first is that darkness and light is used as this motif throughout the Bible. And darkness stands for, in many ways, the place where God isn't or the place where God's active or preferred will isn't done. So, right at the beginning of the Bible, in this verse here, it says that the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving. So there's darkness over the deep and the Spirit of God. God creates light and in Genesis 1-4, next verse, it says that God saw that the light was good and separated light from darkness. Separates the two of them. And then in the New Testament, Paul picks up this idea of light and darkness and says that when you became a Christian, something happened. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts. The God who at the beginning separated light from darkness, that God has now shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So this image or this motif of light and darkness is there from the beginning created this God separating the two. When you became a believer, the light of God shone in your life. But darkness is also used as the place where um, sin occurs or where God's active and preferred will for our lives isn't done. So writing to another church, Paul gives them some instructions on godly living. And he says this in Ephesians 5, I think. Next verse. Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, for it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. So darkness, shame, secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Again, so in the Christian life, he's saying there's dark, there's light. Don't have anything to do with the deeds of darkness. He's not necessarily saying the things that happen at night, although often that is the case. But darkness and light is used as a a metaphor in that regard. So that's the first thing that darkness has to do with this motif. The second thing, and and probably the thing that we're we're most um, tuned into or expecting him to mean, is that darkness has to do with, or the domain of darkness has to do with the sphere of the devil's influence, the sphere of Satan's activity. The Bible says that we have an enemy, um, sometimes called the devil, sometimes called Satan. Both those two words mean accuser or come from the word meaning accuser. We have an enemy who's come to accuse us. Jesus calls him uh, the thief. He says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy The devil is called our enemy. He's called more fully the enemy of the human race. And though it says in the Bible that he masquerades as an angel of light, again, there's our light, the devil masquerades as an angel of light, and yet actually he's a servant of darkness. He's the ruler of the domain of darkness. And the devil's big thing, you see, is that when God created everything, or before, sorry, before God created everything, he led, as an angel, he led a rebellion against God, not content with his position in the pecking order, wanted to be God himself, and so led a rebellion and several other angels along with him who were cast out into darkness, fallen angels we call them, or demons. And now the devil has this domain of darkness that he rules in, and he hates humanity. You see, the human race, you and I, have been endowed with the image and likeness of God. That when God created everything, he created an amazing array and variety of species and birds and trees and animals and plants and things in the sea and things in the sky. And yet when he created us, 
He put the image and likeness of God in us. And that makes us different from everything else in creation. And when we sinned, God sent his son to rescue us. When the angels sinned, God didn't spare them. But he has spared the human race. And the devil hates the human race. He hates the image and likeness of God in you and I. And as a result, Jesus calls him the thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy the human race, the enemy of the human race. The devil loves nothing more than death and disaster, disease that would wipe out the species that's made in the image and likeness of God. And by and large, that's the enemy's tactic, is to try to put us all into the grave without coming to know our rescuer and our maker who loves us. And the devil loves to specialize in things like, as I said, war and disease and just working on the internal sinful desires in each of us to do destruction to one another and do harm to one another. He promotes despair that leads to meaninglessness and hopelessness, which is quite prevalent. It's abounding, it seems to me, in our society. More and more I hear people talking, whether comedians or just uh, politicians or journalists, talking about the meaninglessness, meaninglessness of life. And they say, but that's okay. Life is meaningless. Just get on with it. The trouble is, as creatures made in the image and likeness of God, we have an inbuilt yearning and longing for meaning. Scientists reckon that the earth and the universe and stuff and evolution has been going for 18 billion years and then we arrive on the scene. After 18 billion years, if they're right, we arrive on the scene. These creatures who are concerned with meaning. No one else has been bothered about that except us. We are. We care about meaning. And so the enemy, the devil, likes to convince us there is no meaning. Life is hopeless and desperate. You know, suicide is the largest killer of men between the ages of 16 and 40 in this country. Many of them taking their own life because they're convinced that life is hopeless. Life is meaningless. A friend of mine last week lost someone similar age to me lost someone to suicide because they were convinced life is hopeless. The devil loves that, loves despair, loves hopelessness. See, that's the domain of darkness. That's what he deals in. But Paul says, you as a Christian, you have been rescued from that domain. And now you are in the kingdom of God's beloved son. And as light is opposite to dark, so the kingdom of God is opposite to the domain of darkness. The one is the domain or kingdom of a rebellious created being. The other is the kingdom of God's beloved son. Jesus says that when the devil lies, he's speaking his native language because he deals in deceit. Whereas the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus comes to bind up the brokenhearted. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy Satan's called our accuser. Jesus is called our intercessor. The, the devil's called the enemy of the human race. Jesus is called the friend of sinners. They are opposite to one another. And the kingdom of God operates different to the domain of darkness. In the kingdom of God, the brokenhearted are bound up. Uh, the hopeless have preached hope. Good news is offered to the poor. In the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, there is joy, there is comfort, there is peace. In a world lacking peace, longing for peace, people longing for peace, switch off some of the noise and chaos within their own soul, the kingdom of God specializes and offers peace. You know, the more real reality for you, if you're a Christian, is the kingdom of God. 
That's the more true you. You have been rescued from that domain of darkness. And now, no matter what the enemy might tell you, your future is hope. Your future is prosperity and goodness because you are a rescued one. You have been plucked out of that kingdom and now are in God's kingdom where his son rules and reigns. And his son is a good king who loves you, who loves us. In the Old Testament, when Solomon's king, the queen of Sheba comes to visit him and sees his prosperity, and she says to him, you're a good king, your people must be happy. When you have a good ruler, a good king, people are happy. You, as a believer, you are now in the kingdom of the good king. The Son of God himself rules over you and now offers you hope and meaning. There's no place for futility and meaninglessness and pointlessness. A lot might go on in our life and you think, I don't understand. It seems futile. It seems like there is no hope. It's desperate. I feel so ashamed. And yet the more true reality for you is the opposite. There's no such thing as meaninglessness in the kingdom of God. God is able to take your chaos and create beauty out of it. That's what he does. And that's when you get transferred into the kingdom. That becomes your future, your reality. But the truth is we live with this tension. It's important that we understand this tension as the diagram has been put up. Um, this points out and illustrates the tension for us. That we live in this overlapping period in history where since the cross and resurrection of Christ, the kingdom of God has broken in. And the more real reality, the more future, the, the certain future hope that we have is the kingdom of the Son of God. But we live until, that, until the kingdom comes in fullness and God recreates everything. We live in this period, this hazy bit in present day where the domain of darkness is still present. But God's kingdom is breaking in as well. And as believers, it's so important that we don't just kind of pay intellectual knowledge to this, but we understand this. Because you and I, as, as you know, we're not any different. If you're a Christian, we're not any different. Our experience of life is really different from the experiences of life of people who aren't Christians. Because we live in this place where, though the kingdom of God is here, the domain of darkness is still present, and there is a tension between them. I know that the more true you and me is the rescued one. But still, we live surrounded by darkness and hopelessness and meaninglessness, where there is pain and despair and discomfort. We experience sickness, both physical and mental, and we have to navigate life in all of that. We're searching for meaning and fulfillment and contentment because we live in this realm where the future fulfillment and the present darkness coexist together. And as a believer, you have to decide daily, which am I gonna, whose value system am I going to live by? Am I going to be preached to and agree with the domain of darkness? Or am I going to preach to, be preached to and agree with the kingdom of God's beloved Son? Which one's going to inform your decisions? Is it the systems of this world that are passing away, or is it the kingdom of God? That's the tension that we live with as believers. Theologians love to create fancy terms for things, but they call this reality the inaugurate, inaugurated eschatology. It's a lovely phrase. <laughs> inaugurated eschatology, which basically means that the kingdom of God is both now and it's to come. Both now and it's not yet fully here. We watched um, the film last night, The Theory of Everything, about Stephen Hawking. Uh, good film. Uh, real insight into the man's life. And there's this moment where he first becomes aware, as a student at Cambridge, of his motor neuron disease that's going to completely alter his life and his, all of the plans of his life. There's a moment where he becomes diagnosed with that. And he shuts himself off from the people in his life. 
he sinks into a pit of despair, as you could well imagine. And yet it's the love of a woman in his life that brings him out of that. The things that you might experience, your body perhaps, the illness you have to live with, the, tr- the trials you're faced with, the delayed hope that you might be putting up with, sometimes can cause us to sink into a, a well of shame and darkness and believe this is a dark world. Darkness is all around me. It's not going away. And yet, as in the case of Stephen Hawkins, so in the case of us, the love of God to you is able to bring you out of that reality and into another one, a fuller one, a more permanent one. This age is passing away. We know that because Jesus broke the bonds of death. And as a result, the kingdom of God is ever increasing while the domain of darkness is passing away. It's a bit like flowers this time of year when you start to see them bud, particularly with the mild winter that we've had. You see some of, some of the daffodils are starting to bud and you think, that's early. But the, a budding daffodil or the presence of a, of a bud on a flower tells you spring is coming. We might still have to endure many weeks of darkness and cold, but spring is coming. And that gives us hope. You can't stop spring. You can't stop it coming. Because as the seasons change, so it will change this year. And so flowers will come into bloom. So it is with your life. You are a rescued one. You have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. You might say, but all I know is darkness right now. But it doesn't matter. Because the flower is blooming or is budding or because Jesus is raised from the dead, I know that. My future is rescue. My future is the kingdom of God. As a believer, you have been rescued, but you are also being rescued. And the Bible promises that one day you will be fully rescued. In the same way that you have been saved, if you've put your hope in Christ, you are being saved, the Bible says, and you will one day be saved. The beginning guarantees the end. The budding flower guarantees the blossoming flower. That's what love does. I was talking to a friend several months back who um, was just describing to me a situation in their workplace where their boss was behaving particularly unrighteously and put some very unkind demands on them. And as such, my friend was full of anger and understanding, understandable, understandable bitterness towards their employer or their business partner. He doesn't know what to do with it until the kingdom of God broke in. My friend said that, In a moment of prayer, peace, like he hadn't known before, filled him. And suddenly his heart's attitude was softened and changed. And he was able to forgive and love and try to live patiently with his boss. That's what it means to live in the kingdom of God. That's what it means to to, to be aware that this present darkness isn't all there is. So those are the two kingdoms. You are a rescued one. Let's talk about this rescue. Let's put the, the next slide back up. The next slide up. So God has rescued you and we are rescued ones. Very quickly on this. You have been rescued. My point being, you did not save yourself. Now imagine being um, held captive by ISIS. Quite a terrifying prospect. Imagine being held there and, and knowing that there's no way you could escape or get out. There's a story in the news this week about many people within ISIS who are defacting, is that the right word? 
defecting, who are leaving, wanting to leave. They're getting disillusioned with the cause. They realize that ISIS isn't all it cracked up to be. And so they're wanting to get out and they're being prevented to. There are stories of dozens of people who, having left their country in Europe to go to Syria, get to Syria, get disillusioned, want to leave, but they're not allowed. They're trapped. There's a, a case, there was one woman who survived and escaped. And she told the story about uh, of prisons existing, of hundreds of people in them, many of them women, who've had their husbands killed because they were trying to escape. Now these women, just subject in small confined environments, under ISIS control, unable to leave. Can you imagine what they must be living through day by day? Someone was killed just recently in that prison cell for having a mobile phone smuggled in so they could contact the outside world. They were killed for it because they are trapped. They are hostage to ISIS, unable to escape. So it is with us as members of the human race, trapped in the domain of darkness, unable to rescue ourselves. That's what the Bible presents to us. But in Christ, God has set you free. God has rescued you. God has done what you could not have done. You could not have saved yourself from that domain. No amount of wit or trying hard or trying to please God would ever have saved you from the domain of darkness. But God in Christ has done it. Let's put this next slide up. We're familiar with this man. Uh, this is Tim Peake, uh, who I think it was yesterday, wasn't it, or the other day, complete, was the first Briton to complete a spacewalk, which is pretty, pretty impressive, quite a fun thing to do. Tim Peake captured the hearts and imaginations of the British public, end of November, early December, whenever it was, when he was launched from Kazakhstan, some a space station in Kazakhstan, now up into the weightless atmosphere of space on the International Space Station, where he's working for several months. Now, it seems obvious to us, but Tim Peake, to attain weightlessness, needed assistance. And that wasn't a tower that he built. He didn't just try hard and get fit. He needed a rocket. Of course he did. To attain his weightless condition that he's now in, he needed a rocket to get him there. So it is for us to be in the kingdom of God, to be rescued, you needed a rescuer because you were trapped. And with the astronauts... Uh, high above Earth's atmosphere in this weightless state. I heard one reporter talking about the experience that many of them go through, that in the first few weeks of being in space, they're forever losing things because they put something in their pocket and then go back to it a few minutes later and it's gone, it's floated away because their brains can't quite understand that the way you live in a weightless condition has to be different from the way you lived in a gravity-bound state. And so they, they have Velcro on their suits and Velcro on their tools. They can stick to themselves like this, like sticky, sticky things all over. Um, keep reminding them, don't do this, do do that. But so it is with us in Christ that now having been transferred, there's a new identity. And there's a new way that we need to learn to live and to see ourselves. We can't live as though we're bound by gravity, bound in the domain of darkness. We now live and learn to live by the rules of weightlessness or kingdom living in, by the Son of God himself. The book of Isaiah says, on those dwelling in a land of deep darkness, we heard it at Christmas, on those dwelling in a land of deep darkness, light has come. Imagine the difference that would be like if we switched all the lights off in here. To live in a room that's dark or to live at night is different than to live by day. You bump into less things for, for, for one. But at dark, there are different rules than there are by day. Now as a Christian, 
in the kingdom of light. You need to approach the way you see yourself and life itself differently. One of the major adjustments is that, for one thing, you are not the rescuer. You are a dependent, helpless one. Many of us want to be the knight in shining armor, the prince charming who comes to rescue people and to bind up the brokenhearted and to help people in need. And many of us want to be the hero in the story. But you are not the hero in the story. Actually, all of us find ourselves as being more like the damsel in distress than like Prince Charming himself. Which I know for some of you, you think, I'm not a damsel in distress, I'm a tough guy. You're, you're a victim in need of rescue. And there's a shift that takes place with how you see yourself because you need help, you need saving. It works on our humility. It affects your pride. There's no place for pride and self-righteousness and a a kind of fronted self-image. There's now dependency on God. Integrity, honesty, vulnerability are possible now. And because those things are possible in the kingdom of light, it means that deeper relationships with one another are also possible, which is the goal of many of us. It's what we want. We move from being dependent creatures to being independent, interdependent on one another, which I'm told is a stage of human maturity, to move from being a dependent child to an independent adult to an interdependent adult who recognizes the need of the people around you. Well, when you know you've been rescued, you're dependent on God, but you're also able to live interdependently with the people around you. I need your gifts. I need your help. I need, and you need some of mine. That's how we live. Now, in the kingdom of light, different from the domain of darkness. And apart from anything else, the label of how we see ourselves shifts. Because you now are secure in Christ, safe at home, and a rescued one. You have been rescued. You have a a bright hope and a bright future. And not because of anything you've done but because of what Jesus has done for you. When he died on the cross and rose to new life, the kingdom of God came. When you put your trust in him, you were transferred from darkness to light so that now that is your nature and your identity. It's who you are. What he has done for you is now who you are. You are a rescued one. and No one can take that status away from you. You're safe and you're secure in his arms, no matter how difficult life might be for you, no matter how short life might be cut for you, no matter what you have to go through, what labels get attached to you throughout life, no matter how you perceive yourself. You might think, I'm a failure. I'm shameful. I'm dirty. Or I'm just, I'm nothing. I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm a failure. Just, I'm not that impressive. You're a rescued one now. You're loved. You're in the kingdom of God where he holds out for you hope and meaning in a future. Let's pray together and we'll, we'll respond by singing and celebrating what God has done. Thank you, Father, for this, the more true us, for this, the more real reality that we've been transferred from the domain of darkness and now placed in the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Ask that you'd help each one of us, God, to enjoy this truth and to live with this truth daily, that we have been rescued. Thank you so much, Father. Amen.